2: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Welcome to city game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and radio.com. Here's your host. Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, as I tweeted out the other day, this Nets season has been one of rolling experiments. Started out with a new coach and Steve Nash and a new system trying to integrate two superstars in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, who combined to play a grand total of 20 games last season. Then came superstar number three, the trade for James Harden. And then there were the injuries, the COVID protocols, and most recently, the buyout guys, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. Imagine being a coach, having to deal with all that flux. The Nets have never been whole since, like, Game 3, you know, the night Spencer Dinwiddie tore his ACL. And what if he indeed comes back? So, I guess I'm saying there was bound to be some blow-ups along the way, like that game in Chicago on Sunday. Fortunately, you know, the Nets have managed to win far more often, including that escape last night over the Knicks. But, let's be honest, you know, even that one could have very well gotten ugly, Again, you know, it's very nature of experimentation. On this show, I'm going to go over what we've learned in this recent stretch and get into what has and what hasn't mattered. And to help me with that, I'll be bringing back a City Game podcast staple. The terrific beat reporter for Newsday, Greg Logan, will be joining me in a few minutes. So, should be a good show today, folks. And if you like it, Please subscribe to this podcast on the new platform called Odyssey, no longer radio.com. And you know, we're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and probably some other ones I'm not aware of. And please feel free to also send me some comments in the Apple Podcast review section. So, folks like you, I've been starting to hear a steady drumbeat about how the Nets have to finish first in the Eastern Conference. You know, avoid playing both Milwaukee and Philadelphia en route to the NBA Finals. You know, that's why winning games like last night, or the other recent slop fests like the games against Detroit, Houston, and Minnesota, why those wins were just so important. Folks, you know, I'm going to take the other side of that debate, that, you know, it's all meaningless if it comes with the side dish of injured stars. You know, what good was last night's win if it means Harden is out for a significant period? In that regard, I'm going to expand on a Mike Mazio Twitter joke and say that the team's biggest need during this buyout period is a new scanner. You know, the one that said that KD would miss about two games with a sore hamstring? That was almost two months ago. You know, we all thought KD was going to play last night because Nash had hinted he was close, but you know, then he clarified that by saying what he meant was He was getting close to day to day. I don't know what that means, though, you know, KD did go through a pregame shooting routine last night. But, you know, of course, that same scanner has shown nothing that, you know, should inhibit Harden's hamstring from functioning properly. But, you know, he sure felt something after four minutes last night and took himself out for good. So, yeah, you know, these games have been great opportunities for some of the other guys to step up. You know, like a Nick Claxton or a Bruce Brown or a Tyler Johnson who, you know, unfortunately suffered a non-contact injury in Chicago and is now sidelined for the next two to three weeks. Last night, it was Alizé Johnson who has a few days left on his second 10-day contract to showcase himself as the team's 15th man. If it's not going to be Ben McLemore after his buyout, I think Johnson has a good chance to stick. You know, man, that guy is hungry. You know, that's all I can think of when I'm watching that guy play. Hungry. You know, I asked his teammate Joe Harris about that after last night's win, and here's the clip. Hi, Joe. You mentioned Alizé before. It seems like he plays with a hunger, hunger for the ball, hunger for the seize, the opportunity. Did, is, did you get a sense of that on the court, and do you feed into that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, from the moment that he got here, You know that's how uh, that's how he's been, and even in his uh, practice sessions, you know he doesn't back down from anybody. He's ultra aggressive on both ends of the court, and uh, you know I'm glad that he got opportunity tonight.
0: That again was Joe Harris on Nets newcomer Alize Johnson, who reminds me of that John Favreau character in the football movie The Replacements. You know, and the Gene Hackman coach character screams at him to just go out there and get the ball, and Favreau just rips the ball away from the running back. I got the ball. That's how Alize Johnson plays basketball. And he's going to sprint into the paint and chase down every rebound, he's going to blow up screens. Hungry player. And, you know, the Nets needed that in the worst way last night. But, you know, you're not winning a playoff series with him in the rotation or Timothy Luwau Cabarro, who you know may have made the game winning play by tipping Harris's missed shot into the hands of Jeff Green who got fouled with 3.7 seconds left. Now don't forget TLC was supposed to be in the corner on Kyrie Irving's turnover near the end of the game. Uh, Jeff Green let that slip out. But you know those free throws by Green were just two of the nets 26 to 2 disparity in second chance points. And I guess such a nugget confused Green when I asked him about that after the game, or else maybe I messed up how I phrased the question to him. Well, you you, you take a listen, uh, Jeff. It wasn't that long ago where rebounding was an issue tonight. The second chance points were twenty six to two. So, how would you describe you know that kind of turnaround? Is it just hunger?
1: Yeah, um, I mean. That's something that we need to correct. But at the end of the day we won. So um, you know, go back, and look at film and try to figure out where we can get better and how we can be sorry,
0: be- you guys you guys were twenty six. Oh shit. Six My six. bad.
1: <laughs> I didn't know. Uh well, what kind of question is that? Shit, I love I love the energy. No. That's, no, that's effort, think- man. We we out here, we, we gotta get it by any means. I thought you were talking about them. I didn't know. My bad. I never looked at the stat sheet, but yes, we did a great job of you know getting on the boards, uh, you know, enforcing them, and whatever you whatever your question was, and you know, capitalizing on it. So we did a great job of that.
0: Yeah, given that the Nets won the game, you know, I'm going to take the L on that. You know, Green, of course, has been an invaluable member of this squad. You know, thanks to his versatility, Nash. You know, often starts him out at the four with KD out and then he plays him at the five at the end of many games. Uh, Green hounded Julius Randle into a rough shooting night last night, 7 for 19. Though I'm sure Knicks fans will point out that Randle was hurting. Still, you know, you have to believe Green is going to have a major role if and when everyone gets healthy. Again, you know, the ability for Nash to actually see how this works is more important than whether the Nets squeak out victories down the stretch here. Nash tried out Aldridge and Green together in the starting five in Chicago, and boy, he made no attempt to hide his distaste for that lineup. Yeah, it's true that the pairing was outscored fifty seven to forty seven in the twenty two minutes they shared the floor. But it's not hard to figure out why. Here you have two guys who've been here for like a cup of coffee, never mind the fact that they've never played together before, or what? that they're used to two different styles of defense. You know, Griffin has been mostly teamed with Claxton, who switches everything. You know, while Nash has kept it simple for Aldridge and letting him play drop pick and roll coverage. You can see the hesitation on the faces of everyone on the floor. Not surprising at all. I don't know. You know, Griffin thought differently when I asked him about it. And here's the clip. Hi, Blake. Uh, Would it be fair to say that the unfamiliarity playing with this group, in LaMarcus in particular, caused some of those issues, you know, maybe some hesitation about when to switch, where to rotate.
1: I don't know that it was necessarily that. I mean, obviously there is a little unfamiliarity, but, um, you know, I, if, I, if I knew exactly what it was, um, you know, I think we'd, we probably wouldn't be in that position. Um, so, you know, it, it was, I think it was a lot of things, not not just that.
0: Okay, you know, so Blake Griffin doesn't know why the team struggled when he was on the court with LMA, but it wasn't because of unfamiliarity. Okay, you know, but now what? Are we really going to stick with small ball mania, even though we're now loaded with bigs? You know, I looked at all the Nets five-man lineups over this incredible 21-4 run they've had, the ones that spent at least 10 minutes on the court together, and you know what? Of the seven lineups that had a negative net rating per 100 possessions, only a couple with a DJ and Green pairing were in the red. All the others, you were some small ball combination with just one big on the floor. All the other big man doers are just killing it out there. Green and Claxton have a plus 19.5 net rating in 150 minutes. That's a significant sample size you know green and griffin or green and aldridge in much smaller sample sizes still plus 31.4 and plus 13.5 respectively and you know of course griffin and claxton plus 31.5 in 55 minutes so don't tell me that the nets can't play with two bigs on the court at the same time you know nash had the griffin claxton combo close out last week's victory over houston and here's a clip from that post game zoom session with nash Hi, Steve. Uh, back to Blake. Uh, last night was the first time I saw that you had him in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter instead of the first five minutes. Was that always the plan, or did James's injury factor into it? And in thinking you need another playmaker. No, it wasn't the plan necessarily, um, and I'm not even sure James's injury factored that much. It was just, um, you know, when what I think
1: when he got in the game, he played well, and we kept him out there and more than anything. So, um, you know, know, we had options. We had Jeff. We assumed that Jeff may finish the game. We brought him out, but Nick and Blake played so well together that Jeff never got back in the game. Um, So as much as anything, it was just that uh, we got things going and we're playing and going in the right direction, and, and they stayed out there.
0: So, yeah, it's just an example of how Nash will have his hands full attempting to sort out this big man rotation, especially when KD returns. That's just one of the questions I asked Greg Logan of Newsday in this week's special guest interview, so take a listen. Folks, I'm so happy to bring back one of my all-time favorite special guests, the venerable reporter from Newsday, Mr. Greg Logan, is on the Zoom call with me now. Greg, thanks for waking up early after last night's outing.
2: Steve, it's always great to be with you. I appreciate
0: it. Hey, Greg, so I joked earlier that the Nets' biggest remaining need to get them set for a long playoff run may very well be a new scanner you know the one that initially had Kevin Durant out for two games and then caught <laughs> nothing on James Han- James Harden's hot hamstring but joking aside you think you know as Yogi Berra once said that it's getting late early out there that there won't be enough time to integrate all these new pieces these fine pieces that Sean Marks built or worse that this whole plan could crumble into dust because this team just can't seem to stay freaking
2: healthy You know, I think that is uh, a real and present danger, especially uh, given uh, Harden's touchy situation. Now, you know, he was leading the NBA in uh, minutes played. I'm not sure if he's still there, but uh, he's obviously been carrying quite a burden uh, with Kyrie and uh, KD in and out of the lineup, mostly out on KD's part. And so, uh, you know, if he is going to have issues down the stretch here in these final 21 games of the regular season, then that's just going to take away more time to build that bond and build the chemistry that they need. I mean, the depth is one thing, but you really have to have those three stars at uh, at full speed by the time you hit the playoffs. And I think time actually is uh, getting a little short for them because, you uh, You know, a a friend of mine from Newsday, Steve Popper, pointed out last night that even though he feels they're the best team in the league, he said he wouldn't be surprised by a first-round upset if they don't get time uh, to to build that chemistry. And I think he's got a got a great point. You know, because uh, Steve Nash keeps saying, "Oh, there's plenty of season left," but really, you know, we're down to basically the final quarter. Part 20 of game. games
0: or something
2: like that. Yeah. 21 games left. And, uh, and who knows when, I mean, Nash wouldn't commit to Durant coming back this week after all. And now that Harden had to pull himself again, I'd be shocked if he played against uh, new Orleans. I, I don't, they say it's not serious and the measurables are, are good, but uh, you know, I can't see him just uh, rushing him back or anything like that. So uh so we're going to have to just see how it goes. And, uh, uh, and then there's the load management with Blake Griffin as well. So it's really been tough for them to get everybody healthy at the same time and get them out there on the floor. Plus, they have several other injury issues. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a real concern that that's the one thing that could undermine uh, the, lep- the level of talent that has been assembled.
0: Yeah, I think you have to all learn how to play together. So, you know, let's assume for this question that Nash has everyone available for game one of the playoffs. Uh, As you well know, you know, where this team once had a dearth of bigs, you know, thanks to the buyout market, there's now a bit of a glut. And at the moment, DeAndre Jordan is the odd man man out on merit, you know, but when KD (laughs) comes back, you know, I have a strong hunch There'll be one more big among the Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, LaMarcus Aldridge, Nick Claxton group. You know, that one of those guys is going to be sent to what John Davidson used to call Chateau Bow Wow on uh, (laughs) a New York Rangers hockey telecast. So, you know, how would you manage the big man rotation?
2: Well, uh, I think, I think that DeAndre Jordan is, is the one who has been put in exile of the others. I think there's still a way that you can find to use them all together. Let's say you keep LaMarcus Aldridge and Kevin Durant in the starting lineup. I am a firm believer that Joe Harris has to start, you know, and then and then with the healthy backcourt of Harden and Irving. Uh, so, so that would move uh, uh, Griffin and Green uh, uh, back to the second unit. And And Claxton, do you do you? Oh, and Claxton—that's true. That that is true. Claxton's a little bit of a wild card because he's their best defensive player, and uh, and so, uh, uh, but I but I think there's I think there's a way. uh, They're they're not gonna they're not gonna stop using Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, I I just feel like uh, he's earned his spot. Uh, They like what Griffin has given him so far. Claxton will definitely be on the floor someplace uh, in these games, but, you know, they've been using him a little bit sparingly and his offense has, has been off a little bit these past two games. Uh, So he might, he might play kind of a, an in and out role. And uh, it just depends on how much uh, they need him on the perimeter to to guard some of these guys, you know, with his length and his athleticism. But I, I think they'll find a way to use all three of those guys uh, uh, off the bench.
0: I think the problem is, is that, you know, Aldridge plays a different style and they have to change up. Like when they played Griffin and Aldridge together in Chicago, I talked about this before, that, you know, Griffin has been playing with Claxton a lot, you know, and he switches everything. And now all of a sudden, you know, Aldridge is in drop coverage and Griffin is, you could see like a little hesitation. He disagreed with me, but I want to know, what did you think? You know, Nash hated that. I mean, he never comes out and says it, but he, you could tell he hated that combination, the two of them together, but it made sense that they never played together. They played different styles. What did, what what else could you expect? Well,
2: that's true, but uh, you know, what you said about Nash it was what struck me too, because he's not usually quite as forthright uh, as he was in, in that instance. You know, he, fe- he feels it doesn't uh, truly fit their style uh, to have those guys together. So I guess I'm saying, you know, well, they could be together, but they could be with the second unit. You know, I just think, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a different dynamic with that second unit. And, uh, and so, as you said, you know, the Claxton variable, there could be some mixing and matching there uh, because they do have to get Claxton on the floor. I, I agree with that. Uh You know, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised by how effective uh, Blake Griffin has been uh, since he joined them. I, I thought, you know, he might be farther past his prime uh, than Aldridge. But, you know, he's he's looked good to me. But at the same time, the thing I like that Aldridge brings is just that size, uh, you know, it's cause there's just certain teams you're going to have to have that, uh, that size against, you know, Philadelphia comes to mind uh, first and foremost. Uh, so I don't know. That's that's a tough one. That's a tough one to work out, but you know, on the other hand, it's a great problem to have that you, that you do have pieces like that with that much talent uh, that you can figure out, how to work around it. But, but again, it comes down to time together and, uh, and time to sort it all out and figure out what those roles have to be. And so the experiment goes on.
0: Yeah. That's my theme today. The experiment, the rolling experiments today. Uh, I'm talking with Greg Logan of Newsday, Greg, you know, getting back to Harden. Uh, you've been upfront in admitting the error of your ways after the last time you're on, I asked you <laughs> here about the Nets potentially trading for him. And I'm not here to tell you, I told you so. I mean, you know, if I to all the takes I've gotten wrong on this podcast, we'd have no time to talk (laughs) about anything else. But, you know, I do find it interesting based on both your recent articles on Newsday, newsday Newsday.com, and your very lively Twitter feed. that You've not only come around to the benefits of this trade, you've also been touting Harden for MVP. So, Greg, you know, I know you had the official vote last season. But go ahead, make your case, and I'll make sure Brian Lewis uh, hears it.
2: <laughs> well, here's the funny thing is I I was generally against the Harden trade before it happened, and I've been totally shocked to find, find how much I enjoy watching him. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the way he's adjusted his game and and the priorities within his game to, to be more of a playmaker, and yet he still has that uncanny ability to step up in the scoring column whenever the nets need it and so i've been shocked by that i've also been shocked by uh just you know how much fun it is to cover him i i i was uncertain what that was going to be like after the way he left houston and uh and i've been very pleasantly uh surprised in in that regard and i think he's i honestly think he's made an impact throughout the locker room in that same vein and i think Uh, he's, he's, he's had an impact on Kyrie Irving as well, you know, not just in terms of the sacrifice uh, that both players are making uh, in their games, uh, Kyrie kind of giving up some of the playmaking and, and Harden giving up some of the scoring and so on. But I think they're bringing the best out in each other uh, to the benefit of the nets. And so now, I find myself involved in all these debates uh, about, well, can you possibly give James Harden the MVP award in a season when he left Houston, the way he did, he quote unquote, tanked on them at the start of the season, ruined their team and so on. And so there's, it's clear cut, you know, based on, on some of the things uh, some of the national writers are, are putting out there that even if they include harden in their list of uh, top five candidates you know nobody has him at the top and and they're not going to vote him that way so so there's a a, a strong bias there and i have all sorts of reader letters you mentioned my twitter feed i've gotten reader letters in response to a column i did a couple weeks ago uh suggesting that that harvin harden now is an mvp candidate and, uh, and several of them said it was a well-reasoned column. They liked the column, but they disagreed because of the nature of his departure from Houston and, and felt that that was uh, unprofessional. So uh, uh, I know that sentiment is out there. I respect it. Uh, but I am just uh, – I've just been shocked by how good Harden has been since he's joined the Nets. And, you know uh, – uh, they now if I'm not mistaken are 27 and seven in the games he's played so I'm gonna
0: count the four minutes yesterday <laughs> so well yeah yeah
2: so okay let's go back let's let's roll it back and say 26 and seven
0: right
2: but uh, but uh, uh, I just think he has uh, has had a phenomenal impact on the team in that time. And it's reflected in the bottom line for sure. And, and that's a stretch, you know, where, where Kevin Durant has been out uh, well over 20 games uh, because he also had COVID protocols in addition to missing the past 22 with the hamstring. So just the fact that they've been able to accomplish that much uh, without Durant is uh, phenomenal to me. And so, you know, I think he, uh, he at least merits uh, consideration for the MVP. I, I think he at least you can make an argument for him. Uh, I realize how well Nikola Jokic and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo are playing right now, uh, but I, I think uh, Harden belongs in, in that uh, in that argument. Yeah, I don't see why people can't separate.
0: You know what goes on off the court. I mean, the games that he played in Houston they obviously count. But he was—he wasn't awful, you know. They were no, they certainly were wasn't. a lot better with him playing than they were when when he after the trade. Right. Um, yeah, well,
2: it was pointed out to me last night that uh, that they still had a losing record with him, and I said, well, then that just backs up his argument that they just didn't have enough to contend uh, uh, this season in Houston, and and that they were kind of in a dysfunctional uh, uh, place. Uh, so you know, he wanted out. Uh, he made it clear before the start of the season, and you know they played hardball with him. So, you know, to me, that part of it kind of goes both ways. You know, it's not uncommon for that to happen uh, in this league uh, uh, when players, you know, let you know that they. They think their time is done. He gave them eight great years before that. And yeah, I, I mean,
0: if the if the Rockets uh, traded him on their own, would it make it? Would that make any difference? To, if the exactly. Rockets, uh, anyway, moving on to a different superstar, you know, Kyrie Irving. You know, I asked this of uh, Bob Windrum of Nets Daily last week, but I want to hear your take: as to how you view such an enigmatic presence on this team? I know it's it's very complicated, but you know, given his <laughs> history, you know, even the recent history. Do you see him as a
2: potential landmine? Uh, You know, you could say that just because of the track record that there might come a a point where, uh, you know, he gets off the rails. But I just sense uh, a different vibe with these nets uh, because, for one, uh, for him and KD – to make the moves they did to go this unconventional route to join the Nets, that involves a tremendous amount of commitment. And then there's his local ties, you know, as a true Nets fan growing up in Jersey, uh, uh, that that I think he, he played a big role in, in driving the move of those two to the Nets. So that's a commitment. And then I think also that – the commitment that the Nets have made to him. If you recall last year, Curry had that episode uh, after a loss in Philadelphia where he oh I was there. Uh, Stefan talked Bodden, about yeah. he talked about how they needed to upgrade the talent. Well, look what's happened this year. You know, they've done that and they moved core pieces uh, to get that. You know, they moved Jared Allen, they moved Karis LeBert. So that's one other layer there to uh uh, uh, cement Kyrie's commitment to this team. Now, you know, he is a different cat, you know, and he, he cracked me up one time when he said, I know I talk in circles sometimes, you know, and he thinks deeply about things. Uh, he has a lot going on in his head, you know, regarding uh, political issues and social issues and so on, which, you know, I happen to respect, but I know he can get so deep into those that, yeah, he can he can get off the rails uh, now and then, you know, based on uh, you know his is- his personal issues versus the team issues. So so that can happen. But overall, I find him to be a, a pretty engaging presence, and I think he's grown a little more comfortable uh, in terms of the way he's exchanging with the media. Uh, after these games you know i i I noticed last night he called several of us by our first names and and he i think he he feels a certain comfort level because you know they have enjoyed some success and i think he feels some support for for what what we've seen and you can't no
0: one really no one really got on him for missing what was it three games three games yeah yeah personal reasons Yeah. I mean, James Harden's out there, you know, busting his hump for 40 minutes a night and you could see him, it start to wear on him. And, you know, no one really wrote anything about Kyrie missing those games.
2: No. Well, you know, that's the thing is, you know, Kyrie is good at separating his personal space from the, uh, from the Nets space, from the NBA space and making that argument. So, you know it's just like you really don't want to get into all that with him and and get into the prying thing and and start the whole uh mistrust between Kyrie and the media again because overall I think we we've all been in a pretty good space with him and uh and he does when when he talks to you he gives you thoughtful, extended answers. And from my perspective, I appreciate that. You know, (laughs) I took some stuff from last night that I'm going to use tomorrow. So, so, uh, so I enjoy it. And uh, uh, yeah, he is a, he is a different personality. There's no doubt about it, but you know, I just feel the commitment is so there uh, especially to uh, Durant and to the franchise for what they've done to, to upgrade everything around him and, and to put him in this position. And he has been talking nonstop all year about there's only one goal and that's on the big stage, you know, to get there and compete for a a title. Hmm.
0: Well, finally, Greg, I have to ask you one more. And it's about that column written by your Newsday colleague, Neil best (laughs) last week, the one where he advocated against rooting for the nets, you know, because they're not homegrown or something. I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions here, but, you know, come on. I mean, you know, you may remember the Seinfeld quip, you know, we root for laundry, you know, we're the 1970s Yankees. Someone literally wrote a book, called them the best team money could buy.
2: Exactly.
0: Didn't make the mayor ban them from the Canyon of Heroes. I mean, the, the players, some of them that we root for, they aren't even always the best people. But, you know, when they wear the New York uniforms, you know, we adore them. So you know, my question to you is: you know, did that piece bother you as ill-informed? You know, or are you or are you backing the guy wearing your Newsday uniform?
2: <laughs> oh, way to box me in! Yeah. Uh, actually, I uh, I I took that on uh, on the Twitter feed, you know, and I I spoke directly to Neil, and then when I got some some replies, you know, bashing Neil as a person, you know. I, I told them, you know, that's crazy. You know, this guy is a highly respected, super well-connected uh, media columnist uh, in New York, and and but but I totally and I told him straight to his face, you know, on Twitter, that uh, you know I disagree. Straight to his face on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's what I would do it today. <laughs> but you know, uh, let him know where it was coming from, and told him I disagreed with it. And a couple other of my colleagues uh, also disagreed with that take uh, just because, you know, it, why does it matter where these players come from? You, it, the point of the whole thing is to assemble the best team you possibly can. Uh, J- James Harden made that point when he was asked about the narrative that the Nets have become villains after signing these last two free agents, uh, Griffin and Aldridge. And, uh, and so uh You know, he, as he said, you're you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to put together the best team you can. And also, I would point out that uh, you know James Harden turned down a two-year, hundred million extension for the opportunity to join the Nets. Uh, Blake Griffin uh, gave up millions uh, in his buyout. Uh, Aldridge uh, gave up millions in his buyout. And both those guys are playing on veterans minimum contracts, you know, for the opportunity to play for this team and go for a title. So to me, uh, you, I, I respect that commitment on their part. And I respect the uh, the desire on their part to to play for uh, what could be a special team like this. And, uh, and if they get to the finals and they're competing for a title, you know, I, I don't think people will care very much about, how it started this season they'll care about how it finishes and uh and that could be another thing on twitter <laughs> how it started and this is how it's going to finish yeah that's that's a meme i think yes yes and and so uh so i think that uh, that it's really been a good story and, and it's just fascinating to see if they could ever just, you know, it comes back to the health again, get Kevin Durant out there, get a healthy Harden out there and let us see what happens if they get any sort of consistent run together, because I think that would just be great basketball to watch.
0: Well, Greg Logan of Newsday, you know, we may disagree on some things, but I would never, ever cast you <laughs> out as ill-informed <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the Nets with me, and I look forward to seeing you again at Barclays Center.
2: Uh, thank you very much, Steve. It's always a pleasure to see you.
0: Always great to chat with Greg Logan of Newsday. Again, you can disagree with some of his takes, but you know you have to respect the man's knowledge of the game. Anyway, I think we both agree that what matters over these last twenty odd games is first and foremost health, and then. Figuring out what works and what doesn't work so the team is prepared for the postseason. Because then, the experiments have to stop. They have to know what they're doing, no matter what opponent they play. And that's where I'm going to stop. Thanks again to Greg Logan of Newsday for his insightful spot. Not sure when I'll be recording next, given the Nets' schedule, so follow me on Twitter to check the posting. Or simply subscribe to this podcast on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever you're downloading these episodes. Also, please feel free to post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.